Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. On Puck, I talk Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis, and um, we have a starting quarterback again, kind of. Ryan Day officially named one of these two guys a starting quarterback. It's been an ongoing battle that has gone into the season between Kyle McCord and Devin Brown, where both have played in wins over Youngstown State and Indiana. Nathan, one of those guys is now officially getting all the starter reps. Who is that person? Well, if you don't know by now, because you're listening to this on Wednesday morning. Wednesday morning. Get what the else? text, I guess. Yeah, get the text. <laughs> I don't know what sort of remote hillside <laughs> cave you're living in that you haven't heard that Kyle Cord is a starting quarterback by now. That's but it's Kyle Cord, which has been – listen, he started both the first two games. He was playing the majority of possessions. He was winning. It was going to be Kyle Cord. I think the only question coming into today, Tuesday, as we're recording this, not Wednesday as you're listening to this, was whether Ryan Day would actually put the words out into the out into the air that he was starting. And I don't think there's a major secret here that had to be protected. I guess you could have done it for gamesmanship. It was clear that Ryan Day sees exponential benefit to naming Kamakor the starter. I think the timing of this makes sense in the long run. That you take this into the season, you wanted to see more. You wanted to see Devin Brown in real games. And when you did, it still showed you that Kamakord was the better option right now, but make the choice right now so that your team knows who the starting quarterback is. And so that your starting quarterback can have all the reps he needs for the next two weeks to try to beat Notre Dame. So Andrew, Kyle McCord has technically been the starting quarterback in quotes, because he started the last two games. Devin Brown has played, but and Devin Brown played more snaps than Kyle McCord in the last game, but that's because he played some of the garbage snaps. It was 36 to 30, I believe in Devin Brown's favor, but Kyle McCord has played more series. So, Based off what we heard from Ryan Day on Tuesday, what is actually changing? Uh, to, to channel to channel my Allen Iverson, who I'm often mistaken for, it's about practice. Like they're they're getting somebody has to command this offense full time for the next two weeks because this offense isn't good enough right now. It's the the efficiency is down, yards per play is down, the explosiveness hasn't quite been there. You know they're they're a half a yard off last year's pace, and that includes the play where. Youngstown State just stopped covering Marvin Harrison Jr. 
<laughs> just let him have a touchdown. So, like, they've got to get better. Comicord has to get better. Comicord has to iron out some things, refine some things, be a better quarterback in two weeks when they go to Notre Dame than he has been these first two weeks. So get him in practice and let him rep as much as possible. To me, that is still the biggest change. It's why you had to at some point, and this maybe wasn't something I was talking about before the year. I don't think this thought like crystallized for me this way until I watched these first two weeks. But then talking to the quarterbacks after last week's game, that sort of hit me in the face was like, you know, this has all been a, a great, exercise potentially to to push this into the season and to find out how good Devin Brown is and help him get his feet wet for when you might need him later but at some point somebody has to rep with the ones and be the first string quarterback and really kind of take the offense take ownership of the offense in a different way take ownership of the team in a different way and it's not it, some of it's about leadership and intangibles and stuff but mostly it's about is he going to throw the ball better and make better reads and decisions in two weeks because he's getting these extra practice reps. To me, that's 80% of the benefit of this. The the possessions are shorter. I think there are, there's a lot to, you can quibble with, you know, Ryan Day saying, Hey, we're not getting as many plays. Like this is a problem. You know, what are we, you know, we're, we're not doing theoretically what we used to be able to do just in terms of the amount of possessions. And like, yeah, the numbers bear that out, but also the efficiency is down. So like, you know, I think you can kind of say both things there, but it like let's say against Western Kentucky, just because they throw the ball more, you're going to get 11 or 12 possessions. This is just not you. You the practice reps are important, the game reps are important, and you don't want to be giving away three possessions to the backup quarterback. Like you're you're for for like solely for the sake of development. Like this is not that time anymore. You know that time was against Indiana and Youngstown State, and you couldn't really do it against Indiana. Now you did it against Youngstown State. But now that's over because now you have to ramp up real fast because you got to play a really good offense and then you got to play Notre Dame, who also has a really good offense, but Notre Dame is the best team that they'll have played in the first month of the season. So, yeah, I mean, this to me, this was a decision not just about Kyle McCord and what he's done. It was a decision about if, you know, I mean, if Kyle McCord, if you're going to give him seven or eight possessions a game, Comacord could score on half of his possession, like score touchdowns on half of his possessions. And you're feeling like normally you're feeling really good about a quarterback who scores every other possession. When he's only getting six or seven, you feel less good about that. So yeah, to me, this was, this was not just a decision based in, Hey, Kyle McCord's the guy. This was a decision based in, we need to get him more reps one and two, we can't be messing with the other series that we are having in a game because we already have fewer. of them. Nathan, you said 80% on common court. I might put that at 60 just because I think the other 20% we're dealing with there it has nothing to do with necessarily him, but more to do with how they're going to build an offense around him. Because that's part a big part yeah. of this is when you're Justin, you have to build the offense around Justin Fields. You have to build the offense around CJ Stroud. How are you building an offense around Kyle McCord? And we've talked at length now all week, basically, about how Kyle McCord and Devin Brown are learning the same offense, but they're not running the same offense all game. There were things that they were calling for Devin Brown that they weren't calling for Kyle McCord and vice versa. Now that you, regardless of who you locked in on, locking in on one of those guys, I'm almost wondering, what do we see on Saturday? Just because Kyle McCord, to your point, is getting 90% of the first-team reps because Devin Brown is still going to get some because that's normal. Backup quarterbacks do get some first-team reps. It's not going to go from half to none. 
But when Kyle McCord is getting the lion's share of the first team reps and you have an offensive coaching staff who's building an offense around them and you've got a play caller in Ryan Day who is making every decision with what is his quarterback skill set in mind. I don't think it goes from like it's been kind of flat the first couple of weeks to oh, this looks like the best offense in the country. But I think it can go from looking like 50% of that to 75 to 80% of that just because you're locked in on one guy. And you know that if you get 64 plays, all 64 plays are with Kyle McCord in mind taking those snaps. I'm saying meaningful 64 plays, nothing besides that. Well, I think there's something to be said for building the identity of the offense. This is maybe a clunky transition, but I I wanted to go here because I think it leads into the same question. So I asked the question I said I was going to ask. You said back in the spring, back in the winter, whenever it was, this whole process is to find the special trait in your starting quarterback. What's Kyle McCord's special trait? And Ryan Day's answer was that it's his consistency right now. At least that's what you say. Right now, it's his consistency is the way he answered it. I was a little underwhelmed by that answer. I think I was expecting him to say something. Like to me, consistency is the is a baseline that all starting quarterbacks for Ohio State should have. That isn't like a special trait to me. Maybe he hasn't answered that. And maybe it actually goes back to Steven, the conversation that you and I were having, that what they think could be his special trait isn't going to reveal itself against Youngstown State. It's going to reveal itself in the tough moments of a fourth quarter at Notre Dame, that sort of thing. But I do think there is something to be said for what is Kyle McCord's quarterback identity I've long said I don't see that much difference between him and Devin Brown. I think stylistically that was more or less proven in the way that they played in these first two weeks. So it's not like they're rebuilding an offense in the next two weeks. But I think there is something to be said for crafting a game plan around what maximizes Kyle McCord, what maximizes him as a thrower, what maximizes him as an athlete, what maximizes him as a a quarterback mind, all of those things. And you get to now have a more direct through line between Kyle McCord to Brian Hartline to Ryan Day to whatever else that construct is that brings them a game plan each week. I think those things are important. I I know that we've, we've talked so much. I mean, not just us, everybody has talked so much about who's going to play first, who's going to play more. When will Devin Brown come in? It's been all about game stuff and getting to see them both. And there was a reason for that. But I think now it all all of this now shifts to becoming how does this decision help them build the best version of this offense on a week-to-week basis? I'm with you. He didn't give the most resounding answer to your question. But I think in the way he talked about Kyle McCord in general, I think he did answer your question. It just wasn't as forthcoming. Because what do we talk about on Monday, Nathan? The doesn't get rattled by anything. He's always straightforward. He's always – because then obviously the um, – I think it was Bill Rabinowitz asked, like, what was Kyle McCord's reaction? And and Ryan Day's like, well, he wasn't, like, hopping up on the table. You know, I think yeah, we all know how Kyle McCord <laughs> yeah. is. So, you know I, like, it's, so I, I think he – I could picture that conversation when he said that. Yeah, he was just, he's (laughs) probably just like, hey, you're going to start. And Kyle's like, all right. Okay, cool. Good. Thanks. (laughs) Just leave. And it's not, I I think the way he answered it, I think we did get a little bit of a window into it because consistency, yeah, you would think that would be the baseline for every quarterback, but we know it's not. We know really elite quarterbacks who are really good at things, but then also have some things in their game where it's like, ugh. I really wish you to – there's Brett Favre's out there, and there's Tom Brady's out there. Both of them are Hall of Fame quarterbacks. And I'm not saying that Kyle McCord is the either extreme, 
but I do think he is more in line of Ryan Day got asked efficiency versus explosiveness. I think with Kyle McCord, it might lean more efficiency versus explosiveness in the world of like, they want to be efficiently explosive, but you've got to lean one way or the other, depending on what your quarterback is. I think with CJ Stroud, it was perfectly in the middle. I think Justin Fields at times was more explosive than efficient. And I think Kyle McCord might be more efficient than explosive. And that's where you get the consistency of, He's always going to be here. Never. Maybe he gets more. Maybe he gets less. We don't know if he can elevate from that. But you do know at his base level, he is a level that this offense can run as smooth as it's been running the last couple of years. I would still quibble with whether that is special, but I Fair. get what you're saying. And I, I also think it would reinforce a lot of the conversations we had before the season about what you'd need from Ohio State's quarterback play this season in order for them to win championships. Andrew, obviously, since Kyle McCord wins the job, I mean, somebody had to lose the job. What does Kyle McCord winning the job mean for Devin Brown? What did Ryan Day say about the plan with him going forward? Well, he said he's going to play. So that was what Ryan said. Personally, I think with Devin, it is a, I mean, he needs to look at this as development. And I think he, I mean, for all intents and purposes, you, you would assume he will, because you don't know what Kyle McCord is going to do at the end of this year, right? College football is such a weird it's a it's a weird entity where the quarterback position especially is in such a state of flux. So, you know, you you gotta be ready because one, we all watched the Jets Bills game last night or on Monday night. Like we all can see what happened to a quarterback in an instant. You know, what happens if Kyle McCord doesn't play that well against Notre Dame and then doesn't play that well against Maryland and then all of a sudden you gotta you gotta couple questions on your hands like Devin's got to be ready for that and you know I, I there's just a lot of scenarios where he can be ready for this and and kind of elevate himself into a position where let's say you need him to be the starting quarterback next year or in 2025 you can do that there, there's a couple different scenarios that you can all play out they all kind of lead back to development and I think Ohio State kind of knows that and they're going to want to get him in in those positions and, and try and see what he can do and try and let him spin it a little bit. We learned about a, a lot of other stuff, too, when we talked to Ryan Day and Jim Knowles today, and we'll get into some of that when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Sign up for the text, 614-350-3315. Andrew is texting all types of stuff out during Ryan Day and Jim Knowles' media availability today. Nathan texted some stuff out this morning that he then asked about. Nathan, I thought the interesting thing about 
Ryan Day's press conference, non-quarterback related, is that he got asked a decent number of questions about the new play clock rules, and his answers were very different than Saturday's. And I loved it. It wasn't, oh, we didn't have enough plays. Oh, the rule changes. It was, no, we're not executing. And I almost like I, I asked one of those questions to be completely transparent here, and I kind of presented it that way. How much of it is that versus how much of it is you guys are just not executing? And he, he put a lot of it on the execution, especially, I mean, we've talked about the short, third and short, third and medium situations at length for two weeks now. And he put more of the attention on the execution and their inability to convert in third down right now. And I thought that was good. And it shows that the problem is actually being addressed and they're not just putting it all on, oh, the the play clock rules are so different that we have less plays. Yeah, I hope this is the last week that we have a lot of those questions. I mean, maybe it comes up again if you're going to play a team. I mean, it could come up in, the, in something like the Michigan game. But listen, uh, as I texted this morning, Tuesday morning, like if this is really Ohio State's kryptonite that teams are going to run the ball and keep the ball away from them, then they've got some. <laughs> they got some teams that are stockpiled in kryptonite. Michigan, Penn State, uh, you could say Wisconsin with Braylon Allen. Like you know, there's some there's some tests coming up, and you're going to have to be able to score sometimes when the other team can run the ball and and eat clock. And there's plenty of other teams around the country that are still scoring a bunch of points with these new clock rules now. A lot of caveats there. Who knows? Who, you know, they were all playing different people. These were two teams that did very much have a strategy to keep the ball away from Ohio State. Western Kentucky's going to have some of that, though, potentially. Like they throw the ball a lot more, but they also throw it pretty efficiently. And the clock's going to keep rolling. I mean, in these these RPO situations, like I was watching the game that Western Kentucky played against Houston Baptist last week, which that was not a good football game, <laughs> by the way. It was it was pretty rough and. It, that's not going to show you a lot about necessarily how Western Kentucky will match up against Ohio State, but it, it shows you the baseline of this offense. And and the, the RPO stuff is is tricky, and you've got to be disciplined. And, and there were a long stretches where Western Kentucky was actually running the ball a lot. For a team that ranks third in the country in, in attempts and did so last year, they, they'll run the ball a lot if that's what you're giving them. So I, I thought it was refreshing that Ryan Day didn't continue some of that like belly aching that was going on on Saturday. And then it became more about the real culprits of why Ohio state hasn't had as many plays as it wanted the last couple of weeks because, because the clock rules are the same for everybody. So be more efficient on third down. Don't be one of the worst teams in the country on third down, by the way, San Diego state and Louisiana Monroe, who both gave transfer offensive linemen to Ohio state this past off season, both rank higher in third down conversion rate than Ohio state does again, caveat of who did they play but still that you know so be more efficient on third down be more explosive on other downs you know be um you know and 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 those those third down and shorts are what are really killing them and that's they they that can't be and that's been a thing that's just hung around too long it's hung around now to through personnel changes on the offensive line staff changes on the offensive line probably some scheme tweaks at the very least on the offensive line, it's still a problem. Until you fix that and until you find a way to maximize your plays in other situations, then you're going to keep having this problem. It's not going to matter how many plays you get. And the thing is, they're not on third down a lot. They're tied for 10th in the Big Ten and actual third down plays. They've only had 23 third downs. They've just only converted seven of them for what is 30.4 Three percent. That's dead last in the Big Ten by like three percent. 
it's this small sample size that then you are then not executing in. So it ele- it elevates the problem even further than if it was like, oh, I mean, you're only converting 40%, but you're also on third down like 90 times. Then, okay, it's fine, you know, numbers. But when you're never, ever on third down and you don't convert on the times that you do get on third down, that's how you get to a situation where, as he was talking about, that's how you're getting less plays because you're not executing in third and medium. You start executing in third and medium that it's not going to give you 10 to 15 more plays, but it'll give you like five more plays again. Andrew, what did you what did you think of the way Ryan Day talked about the third, especially the third down and third and medium situation? Well, I think I saw what or I heard what you what you heard where you know it, it was a little bit of a difference, and I think that's to be expected. I mean, he mentioned this with the quarterback too. Like they kind of knew after the game on Saturday, and and that was kind of the feeling. They just didn't think that, that was the time. I think that's fair to say. Like I think a lot of people you know that were responding, how come he's not? You know, I saw a lot of our texters responding, how come he's not, you know, more worried about this or, you know, what's the problem with third down? Like, why isn't he, why doesn't he see this as a problem? And I'm like, some of these times you're just not going to get in after a 28 point win and be like, we were terrible. Um, But, you know, I think there are clear concerns and there are clear fixes in progress, I'll say. Uh, Who knows if those fixes are going to work? Uh, but that, I mean, to me, it it sounds like they are kind of aware of, of what's happening and they are kind of aware of what's going on. Like somebody asked him a question, where do you want to see your team grow the most? And then he led with third down. And then he said, but also kind of everything. We're not a finished product as a team yet. It was it, I did kind of find that funny where like somebody asked him like specifically, where do you want to grow? And then typically, you know, you hear coaches a lot. You just give the out. Well, we got to get better in a lot of different areas or every different, you know, every area or whatever. And he specifically singled out third down and then did the whole coach speak. We got to get better as a team and we're not a finished product yet and blah, blah, blah. To me, like this is is, is a clear concern. They know it's a clear concern. They have eyes. They have access to the same numbers that we do or they have access to more numbers that we do, I'm sure. With their third down stuff, I think, you know, when when you talk about, you know, kind of the fix, you're really not going to know for another week or two until you, I mean, again, this first month of the season, it's kind of felt like all roads lead to Notre Dame. And uh, I think we're not really going to have a good idea of, you know, how this team can handle big time opponents. We I know we're not going to have a good idea of how this team can handle big time opponents until September 23rd. I do think he has been the thing he's been the most blunt about both Saturday after the game and today is the offensive line. I think mm-hmm. people keep asking questions along the lines of, "Hey, did you at least see like something she liked on the offensive line?" Or like, and people he keeps saying, "Nope." <laughs> like, and and mm-hmm. he's 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 being encouraging too in, at times, but there's other times where he answers pretty bluntly that like, "No, this isn't good enough. This is not getting it done. This has to be better." And I, I think that week one, week two, there was progress. But so for, for people out there who think that if, if you're not hearing the right message out of him, I think if you listen closely, you will. I think like it struck me that both after the game Saturday and then again today, there were questions that he got about the offensive line that he was very kind of stone faced about. That was just kind of like almost dismissive, like, nope, that's not the standard here. We got to be better. This isn't good enough. Uh, he was actually the second one. The second one wasn't directly about, I guess it was about the run game or maybe it was how the yeah. offensive line played in the run game and he said no yeah because he even said the protection was fine the, like which we have been saying as well is that the protection has not been the issue it's the 
it's weird, man. Like, that's not normal. It's usually the other way around where you got to catch up on the protection there. So, yeah, I think you're right, though. The last few times we talked to Ryan Day, it's it's with other things, like with the quarterback situation, even when Kyle had his struggles week one, even when Devin had his struggles, you felt like, okay, well, they're correctable. That was a phrase that got used a lot, was correctable. And there were things that were correctable, and he was even, you know, echoing that. He didn't talk about the offensive line that way, and we'll see coming out of this Saturday if he feels that way. But we said it with the quarterbacks all along of, you know, come up for air after the Notre Dame game, and maybe you make a change, maybe you don't. I personally don't think they're going to make a change. I think they're sticking with Kyle McCord regardless of what happens. But I think that logic most likely best applies to the offensive line because we didn't watch a lot of practice this year, so we don't know. We don't know how close the battle actually was between Josh Simmons, Josh Fryer, Tegra Shabola, and Luke Montgomery for those tackle spots. Now, we knew Josh Fryer for sure probably had a locked-in starter spot because he was the sixth-best offensive lineman a year ago. They were working him at left tackle in the spring and then moved him out right tackle in, in the fall where he had been repping basically his entire career. So maybe we knew that one spot. But the other tackle spot, regardless if it was left or right, we we weren't we don't know. Maybe Luke Montgomery is coming along in a way that they get through that fourth week and it's like Ryan Day is like, nope, still not good enough, still not the standard. And Luke Montgomery is showing you things in practice that makes you go, maybe we start the true freshman. Or Tegra Shabola is clicked and the light has come on. They go, oh, we're going to start the, the second-year guy there. Or maybe Josh Simmons, the light comes on for him. And a lot of those holding penalties and hands-to-the-face penalties and the run game issues, they cease to exist when we get the Notre Dame game. I think all of that is possible, but I do think that the whole come up for air and maybe this is that starting group or maybe it's not, I think that most likely, most best applies to the offensive line instead of literally any other group on this roster right now. I'm putting together the depth chart for Wednesday morning that we post on our site. I think I'm going to put Zen Mahalski is the backup left tackle because I think that's who was working yeah. there with the yeah. twos, but I don't know who that actually means will be there. And it just it that speaks to what you were saying before that it's hard for us to have that read at this point because it's the second the backup offensive line hasn't played. Number two, I'll say it's not making assistance available right now. We haven't gotten any after games. I, I imagine we might start getting those guys in the second half, but right now the answers for all of these things are coming through Ryan Day, not Brian Hartline as the offensive coordinator, not Justin Fry as the offensive line coach are all coming through Ryan Day. And the the third thing is we spent a lot of time in preseason camp for good reason, asking these guys and all dating back to the spring, asking these tackles like, oh, how much is it helping you to go up against JT Tumaloa, Jack Sawyer, Kenyatta Jackson? And how's that making you better? How's that getting you? And and those were legitimate questions. We maybe didn't stop to ask ourselves are these defensive ends getting the looks that they need from these offensive tackles? Because that maybe that's sort of all feeding into itself right now. And as, as you know, that if, if maybe if, if this development keeps happening with these offensive tackles, then I don't know, maybe in, in a steel sharpened steel kind of way, I guess Ohio state says iron sharpens iron. You can start to see some residual effects of that with the other side of the ball too. Okay, so let's take a break there because I think that's a great segue to talk about some defensive stuff. So we're going to take one final break here, and then we come back. We got to talk with Jim Knowles, who was kind of contrary to maybe the way some of us were thinking about the way the defense is played, especially up front. So we'll get into that when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. Nathan, we got to talk with Jim Knowles, and both of you guys can chime in here because I thought it was weird some of the answers he gave because the first thing Jim Knowles got asked was Dave Biddle. He got to go first again, which, quick point out, Nathan, he like he mapped out how the quarterback thing was going to go, and he was like, they're going to call on Dave Biddle first, and he's going to ask about the quarterbacks. 
And he did. Jerry did call on Dave Biddle first, but he did not ask about the quarterbacks. He asked about the defensive ends, which even caught Ryan Day off guard because that's he was for sure ready to talk about the quarterbacks first. So you know, half right, half point for Nathan Baird there. But he uh, they also asked. Jim Knowles about the defensive ends and he thought that the defensive ends were doing their jobs and were doing fine. But then later on, someone else also asked about the defensive line and the defensive ends specifically. And he said something that I even brought up on the Monday prod and that's the setting the edge part of it in the run game is where maybe he's seen more of the struggles, but also he paired all that with, they haven't really seen someone who can give us a real good look at this defensive line. So should we just put a pin in things until after Saturday, even if it is against a team who's going to get the ball out quick? No, we should put a pin in things until after Notre Dame. I don't think this Western Kentucky game might show us much of anything about this defensive line. And it's not, as I texted on on Tuesday morning, I don't think it has anything to do with the personnel on this Ohio State defensive line. It's just the way that Western Kentucky plays. It, it's not conducive to it, it. They play no team that Ohio State plays this year will play a style of football less conducive to giving up pressure than what Western Kentucky does. It's a, it's a very, very, very heavy RPO. Off. It's like a gimmick offense. And the mm-hmm. gimmick is that they show that run pass option. Defensive linemen get sort of frozen in their tracks and then they throw off of that. But it's it's so fast it's lightning quick and it's going to test this secondary in a huge way it's going to test the eye discipline the, the the foot discipline all that stuff for the back seven in a really big way i think i just don't think it's going to tell us anything about the kind of pass rush that can be created because the pass rush that it would take sometimes to get sacks against this offense would be almost like I don't want to say superhuman, but like they, it's the way that they run off. It's like people can go watch, people can go online and watch the YouTube clips of, of how this team runs an offense. Last year, and, and if you don't believe the eyes, your eyes in that sense, and just believe the stats. I mean, this year they've had 88 attempts, which is I think third in the country, or their 44 attempts per game ranks third in the country, and they've allowed zero sacks. Now again, it was Houston Baptist, and I can't remember who the first game was against, but certainly not against a team the caliber of Ohio State. But last year a full season of games. They also ranked third in the nation in attempts per game, and they ranked in the top 10 in fewest sacks allowed. And it's not because they have Paris Johnson Jr. and Dewan Jones and Luke Whipler and NFL guys on their offensive line all the way across. It's because they just play a style of ball that doesn't give teams time to get in the backfield and sack their quarterback. I know that there's this consternation out there, and I'm just trying to prepare people. I'm not saying they can't get a sack, any sacks. They did give up sacks last year at times. And if you put them in, you know, third and long, where it takes that the the real threat of that RPO out of it, then you've got a chance to tee off, just like you would against any team. But if the numbers, if 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 Ohio State doesn't sack them multiple times, a bunch of times, whatever your standard is on Saturday, just take into account the style of play and start looking ahead. I mean, the real test is Notre Dame, as Andrew can tell you, and, and well, a lot of college football fans can tell you, but Andrew has, knows more about them. You've got a, a pair of potential first-round talents bookending that Notre Dame offensive line. That's where the test is going to come. That's where, frankly, JT Tuomalau and Jack Sawyer need to make their impact. These first couple games, whatever. It would have been nice, but whatever. This next game, I think it's going to be limited opportunity. Notre Dame game, it might be essential for Ohio State winning. The first game against was against South Florida, just to let you know that one. Right. It's right. Inter- because it's interesting though, because the coaching staff thinks differently than that. 
both Ryan Day and Jim Knowles think that this weekend is going to give them a better look at things. And I don't I don't want to say they're wrong, but they're not right either. But there is a, there's a happy medium there of if the cornerbacks are doing what they're supposed to do, because Jim Knowles also got asked about Davis and Igbenos and, and how many passes he's given up. But also he's on the field side, so that's get, you get attacked a lot more often in those situations. But he's not giving up a lot of yards after the catch. He's only given up 26 yards after the catch so far this season, which I think is pretty – quality for a guy who's given up as, as many the completions as he has. If they are in third and long situations with a team who already wants to throw the ball, I think there's room for them to be right in that we learn something about the defensive line, even if it doesn't show up in the counting stats. Um, I mean, I suppose. I mean, if, if this defensive line breaks through and really impacts the game, then I, I think that that would tell us something. Yeah, I just I'm I'm skeptical of that. Not because of anything I think about mm-hmm. this offensive defensive line. It's again, it's just all about the way that Western Kentucky plays and how I kind of project this game to come out. I do think that there's an op- opportunity here, though. I-, I tried to ask Jim Knowles today, and he got a bunch of questions about his defensive philosophy and how it's evolved, and, and maybe specifically towards defending offenses like this that have become more popular and were more popular in the uh, Big Twelve when he was there. And I thought a lot mm-hmm. of those were really insightful answers that he gave. And I, I do think because he is figuring out what's the balance between attacking and leaving yourself vulnerable. And that's still, I guess, an ongoing process, but something he took into account a lot yeah. in the offseason. But will he be willing to bring pressure off the edge from the secondary, the corner blitzes, nickel blitzes? Will he be willing? You know, we know he's willing to send Tommy Eichenberg into the fire over and over and over again. So, like, are you going to try to create pressure from those places? Because I think with these RPOs, you you can't just sit back and let them dictate. I think you do have to attack them from somewhere and make them make decisions on your terms. Uh, it can't all be reactive. So I'm curious how that's going to happen because I think you have to create that pressure more against this kind of offense than anybody they've played so far. Yeah, you got to ask that you have to blitz more this past week than you maybe anticipated and his like reaction was pretty much yes. But I think that it was like 50, it wasn't 50, 50, but they blitzed a lot against Youngstown state, maybe more than you maybe should have to. But I agree with you that it probably needs to happen 45, 55 against this team. Just to, because Austin read you and we can get more into this on the game preview pod, but you've got to find ways to disrupt a team that wants to throw the ball around but it's not like they're always throwing vertical passes down the field. Andrew, what else did Jim Knowles have to say today? He had a couple things to say to kind of piggyback off of Nathan's comment. Um, you know, he talked about Austin Reed, that quarterback. And I think it kind of goes hand in hand with what he was saying or what Nathan was saying, where when you talk about Austin Reed, he mentioned he doesn't really get phased. He just he's always composed. He's always collected. He's accurate. He gets the ball out of his hands really quickly. Um, you know, that those are really good qualities to have in a quarterback. And I think that that's, um, you know, that's really important. Uh, oh, by the way, the other thing that I just remembered, he, uh, you know, injury concerns, uh, he said they're okay. They're doing, I think, pretty okay. Or, you know, we're all right or okay. Something like that. That was the phrasing. He said, Arvell Reese is okay. Uh, in terms of, you know, health across the roster. Um, you know, there's not a ton of major concerns, uh, obviously Josh Proctor, but you know, outside of that, you know, there's, they're, they're pretty well, pretty well set. Um, but yeah, I mean, with, with Reed, um, with the type of offense they run, they've kind of got the right quarterback for that system. 
for that type of offense. Um, so yeah, I, I just, I wonder the thing with this week's Ohio state defense is it is a little bit like the Indiana game where you played a triple option team or a team that was running a lot of the triple option, a lot of option looks, and you have to be really disciplined this week. You also have to be really disciplined, but kind of for the exact opposite reasons. Um, because when you're running those RPO looks like you can't get sucked inside, you know, Jim Knowles mentioned that, you know, you start to get, you know, uh, you know, you start to get eyes that look in the wrong places and you start to get, you know, people that look in the wrong spots and that's where you get burned. You know, these offenses, he said, you know, they move you horizontally, they run sideline to sideline, and then they beat you over the top. And, and, And that's what you can't get beat on. So you've got to be disciplined throughout the entire game. Because, I mean, kind of like the triple option, if you're not disciplined, all it takes is one, and then they're busting a big play. And, and that's a problem. So, and that's something that, obviously, Ohio State's defense and, and Ohio State fans and everybody has talked about all offseason. The big plays that the Buckeyes gave up, you know, you can't do that. So, you know, you have to be disciplined in, in a kind of a different way than you had to be disciplined against Indiana. I am curious to see how that looks. You know, because the secondary, I think, is going to have, you know, they're, they're going to have a pretty big challenge on their hands. Nathan, I thought that was one more interesting thing that Jim Knoll said. And I've touched on it before after the Indiana game. And I think it kind of got validated with what happened this weekend. Malik Hartford started against Youngstown State in place of Josh Proctor, who was listed as questionable. And then we saw him with a ankle wrap on his left ankle before the game. And so obviously he ended up not playing. Malik Hofford started, he played 11 snaps, and then Jahad Carter played the rest of the game. And after the Indiana game, I had a conversation with somebody in the building about Malik Hartford, where I was basically just like, yo, are we going too far left with the Malik Hartford hype, or are we right on? Just, you know, trying to get a gauge on things. And then they were like, no, 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 he's going to be he's gonna be very good here. Very, very good here. They, there is – there was a ceiling pointed out of – this guy can be a day one first round NFL draft pick, three and done level player. And so I went, oh, can that start this year? They said, yes, it can, but you don't want to throw too much at a freshman too early. You want to slow, you want to slowly give him more and more and more. So once you get to the end of the year, if he's placed in a position where you need him to play meaningful snaps, he's rolling on all cylinders. And we've seen that in other positions. We saw it with Chris Olave, how he built up his 28 in 2018. We saw it with Garrett Wilson, how he built up. Denzel Burke didn't have that. He just got kind of thrown out there because they had no other choices at that point. But if you're going to play these young guys, you gotta, you can't just throw it all at them at the same time. You've got to slowly put more and more on their plate. They're even doing it with Sonny Styles right now, where in those third and long situations, he does come off the field. Who knows if he still does that at the end of the year? I think week two starting, even if it was against an FCS opponent, was too much thrown at Malik Hartford. And the way Jim Knowles talked about it, because he got asked, why did Malik Hartford start? And then we didn't see him the rest of the game. He said, I thought he struggled in that first series. And I I don't know if I'm shocked by the fact that he struggled in week two. If it had been week seven, maybe he'd have been more ready. But it, did that kind of back up maybe what we've been talking about with him? We're like, there's a high ceiling there, but you don't want to see. It's probably not smart enough to throw too much at him too early. Yeah, and there were a lot of other dynamics happening there, too. The fact that Jihad Carter didn't play at all in the first game, I think, gave them yeah. a, a reason to maybe extend him in this game. But I think that you're that you're right. What you saw in film and then what, what Jim Knowles said today backed that up, that it just it didn't look quite right for Hartford, that he maybe just wasn't 
ready for that moment. He did go on to say that assuming Josh Proctor is healthy, that that's your starter at, at adjuster on Saturday. And we, I think, suspect that that will be the case. He, you know, he always throws that caveat that it'll matter in practice. But the fact that Josh Proctor warmed up, came out in uniform, went through full warmups, and then just didn't play against Youngtown State tells me he was like a different opponent. Maybe he's playing that game. Maybe same scenario at Notre Dame. Maybe he plays that game. So that was probably just being better safe than sorry. So I would expect Josh Proctor to be the starter back there. And I would think that based on what we saw, that maybe Jihad Carter would then be the next one in line. And that, that bumps Malik Hartford back a little bit. I think we shouldn't lose sight of what this, though, tells us about what this defense should be in a by next year. That Malik Hartford should be probably a huge part of this. Because it's one thing when you hear some preseason buzz about people. Um, and I think we have a good, a good head-to-head comparison between Malik Hartford and Kai Stokes. Whereas, you know, Kai Stokes was really building some buzz last spring, a year ago spring, so 2022. And that didn't really ever translate in, and still hasn't, into us seeing Kai Stokes on the field in a significant way. But Malik Harford was started the second game of the year, and I know there was an injury involved, but he still started the second game of the year. And and for whatever reason, whatever they'd seen in practice, they still started him over Carter, a guy who has started a decent number of games for a Power 5 program before coming to Ohio State. So that tells you something. I mean, I think this is one of those times where it looks like a setback. I don't think it is, though. I think it's like a set aside. This team probably, the ceiling maybe wasn't going to be determined by what Malik Harford did. Certainly not in the first half of a season. But as you're saying, maybe if he keeps growing. Because that's where have we really seen true true freshman impact that like maybe changes the season, affects the season. A lot of times it'll happen late in the year, whether you're talking about Chris Olave, whether you're talking about, I don't know, other people who've come along. The Denzel Burke example under special circumstances being one of the um, one of the departures to that. So I still think that the ceiling is really high. I still think that Malik Harford is going to be a significant piece of this defense for the next couple of years. But it sounds like for this year, a key thing for this defense is going to be keeping Josh Proctor healthy, but then also Josh Proctor having a couple of things maybe to still prove as far as at that position, that adjuster position, um, does he have the full range of skills necessary? Because we know what he can do when he like set, sets on a point and can just dart, whether that's a pick, whether that's blasting somebody back into the Stone Age. Like we know that he can do that. But when it's when there's any wiggle coming at you, where's Josh Proctor? Is that a problem at the back end, or does he have that? Can he stand up to that, and has he developed that over the course of his career? I think that is still a question that I have, and this is a kind of opponent where, frankly, they're going to get loose a couple times. What's Josh Proctor do there? It's weird because we actually haven't seen him play meaningful football this deep into a season in I mean, years, that, you know? So yeah. it's like it, it was a good first start. Indiana was, was a good again, first start. Yeah, was that the best game of Josh Proctor's career? Ooh, it's – uh, I don't know. He was playing pretty well in that Oregon game before he got hurt, and I thought the Minnesota game was pretty good. Yeah. I think yeah. from start to finish, probably. I mean, so, so if that's he, what – yeah. Yeah, if he uses that to build on it, it gets interesting. But it's like, like I said, we haven't seen him play past week three in you know, three or four years here now. But if, he, if the Indiana game is what we should expect from Josh Proctor, mixed with Lathan Ransom and what he brings, plus Sonny Styles has just looked awesome for two weeks. It's a pretty good starting safety group, and Malik Harford. He's played 36 snaps in his career. 36. I'm not, not. No one was expecting him to look like 
you know, Isaiah Simmons or, you know, Grant Delpit in, th- in the first 36 snaps of his career. It's going to take some time there. So the, the, the Indiana, I was going to say the Indiana game was the best game I've ever seen Josh Proctor play. So, yeah, I, I agree with you guys. I think that was the, be- that was the best I've ever seen him play. High praise. High praise. <laughs> High praise from another guy who's got I guess technically small... it's also the worst I've ever seen him play. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, so. it's more words from a guy who also has a short sample size right now. And so, you know, right. he's more than 36 snaps into it. But, you know, still, <laughs> it's more snaps to be had out there. Let's let's check back in on Andrew by week seven or week eight. That'll wrap up things here. We'll, we'll talk to players this evening as you're listening to this. I don't think that list has been given out yet, but we will be talking to a handful of players on Wednesday. And then Ryan Day will have his Dadio show on Thursday. But Back, backed up by rapid fire lightning round excuse me lightning round we are rapid fire he's got the lightning round and then we'll have our game preview pod ohio state will host western kentucky at four o'clock on saturday for nathan baird for andrew gillis i'm stephen means and that was buckeye talk